Hello. Hello, Mark. Hi, Steve. Hello out there. It's time for another English Link podcast. And, uh, you know, we have had some uh, questions. We've all also had people suggest that uh, we should have a, a female voice, so we are going to try to find one. In the meantime, you'll have to deal with uh, Mark and Steve. <laughs> some people have difficulty telling our two voices apart, That's apparently. Right. Well, which I can understand, yeah. especially if it's not in your own language. Mm -hmm. I can see that as a problem. For sure. We could try one of us doing a female impersonation <laughs> during, but we won't do that, no. Maybe not today. We'll not save today. that. We'll save that. One, uh, some of the questions we've had. One question was, I was asked the question, do your sons speak a lot of languages? Because I speak quite a few languages. My wife speaks quite a few languages. Do, did your sons learn a lot of languages as children, and how did you manage to do that? So I, my normal answer is that my older son, Eric, essentially speaks English and stumbles around in French. And Mark, for the longest time, was in the same situation. And now, as a result of having lived in various countries, in Europe and in Japan, he does speak four or five languages. So maybe I should ask Mark, how, how did your parents try to get you to learn languages, and what was the reaction of you and your brother? Uh, <laughs> well... Uh, I guess we weren't that interested in learning languages as, as kids. Um, all of our friends spoke English, and uh, I don't think we really saw the point of learning other languages. We spoke English at home, our friends spoke English, we spoke English at school. And um, when we were encouraged to learn other languages, which we didn't want to do because we would rather do other things, um, I think we uh, we didn't go for it. <laughs> Do you remember the time we were traveling in France and I had the cassette playing uh, the French lessons as we drove around the French countryside? I remember that. Uh, Was that an effective <laughs> measure? Had a big big impact. Um, I don't know. I guess it was just too uh, artificial. Plus, the you know what we were listening to uh, wasn't interesting. And uh, you have to be if you're not motivated, uh, you're just not going to learn. And we didn't. We weren't motivated. We didn't particularly want to learn. And um, I guess we didn't see the point. Now, um, when you found yourself, I guess the first foreign country you lived in as, as a hockey player when you were uh, a professional hockey player was Italy. Mm -hmm. Did, were you then motivated to learn Italian? Oh, absolutely. So all of a sudden there I was in Italy and hey, it'd be nice to, to speak to everybody and uh, you know, you can, most places you go to, you can, you can most more or less get by uh, speaking English and, and uh, using hand gestures, but uh, you get a lot more out of it if you can speak to the locals. And, and I was that way everywhere I went. I tried to learn as much as I could of the, of the language and, mm -hmm. and uh, tried to, to speak it because you, you just get a lot more from the, out of the experience. And so at that point, yeah, then I started, um, trying to learn Italian and I still remember being surprised actually in that little town that I was in there was a market there and um, this was right after I got there and I knew essentially no Italian um, and I was at the market trying to talk to these guys selling stuff and actually 
hardly any of them spoke any English at all. And I was surprised that they spoke German and they spoke French, but no English, which surprised me because I guess maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was thinking, well, maybe a common second language for most people might be English. But uh, anyway, I was that what what French I did have came in handy then, and uh, certainly there are similarities with Italian. Uh, the, the German, of course, could come from the fact that you're in an area that was close to the German-speaking part of Italy. You're just mm-hmm. below the uh, Alto Adi, Adige oh, or I South think, Tyrol. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I think absolutely. I, though that's because that they they got tourists from uh, right. Germany, uh, probably from mm-hmm. France, too, and, yeah. and so those are the languages they're going to learn. And they don't think they got too many English-speaking people in that uh, area mm-hmm. visiting, mm-hmm. so they they didn't learn that. And then you, you for three years, you played in German-speaking countries, Austria and Switzerland. Yeah. So I guess your German uh, is better than your Italian. It is now, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, it's been a long time since I was in Italy. And so I, at the time, I, I could uh, get by in Italian. I wouldn't say I spoke it well, but I could, I could, I could get by. The French helped a lot. Uh, when I first went to Austria, that was a different... Because I, I I just remember having the feeling when I first got there going to a store and I I didn't know essentially I didn't know one German word, <laughs> not one. I don't think I mean maybe maybe Danke. <laughs> like yeah. I, I knew none. I, I just remember standing there and I hadn't really focused on it because it kind of happened in a hurry and all of a sudden there I was in Austria and I go to speak to someone and wow I don't it, it, I don't know anything. Even in in Italy it felt like I knew a few more words. Maybe because I had a little more warning and I had. Studied a little bit before I went there, but uh, I remember that experience. <laughs> now, a lot of parents, of course, want their children to learn languages, either because they think it's a good thing for them to do, for their education. Uh, parents of children, you know, parents who live in non-English speaking countries want their kids to learn English. Uh, there's a bit of a fad now in North America for parents to get their kids to learn Mandarin Chinese. Uh, in the U.S., I guess, Spanish. Uh, then you have this issue of uh, people, immigrants, uh, who want their kids to learn, you know, the ancestral language. So you have these Chinese kids or Japanese kids that are sent to Chinese school on Saturday, which they don't like. Well, how, what, what should parents do, in your opinion, uh, to get their kids to learn some of these languages? Yeah, I don't really know. I know that uh, it seems like quite a few of the my kids' friends, or there, there seem to be quite a few that have a Japanese parent, mm-hmm. and they all get sent to Japanese school on Saturday. And uh, I, I feel bad for those kids <laughs> because, I mean, that's got to be the last thing you want to do on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I think in the long run, that's got to build up a little bit of resentment towards <laughs> Japanese, you know. Right. And how much do they really learn? Like, I, I, we lived in Japan when I was a kid. Um... And I, we had Japanese class in school. It was an English international school, um, but I didn't learn much. We had Japanese uh, a few times a week, whatever it was. Right. So once a week, Japanese school. I don't know. I don't know what they learn there, but it uh, probably doesn't amount. If they if they ever got interested and went to Japan for a month, they'd probably pick up more. Well, that's always been my theory, that uh, rather than building up resentment or resistance, Mm -hmm. uh, I say that now, that was not my approach when I was a parent, (laughs) but, uh, you know, if you can, if they're young enough, and you can give them interesting things to do, 
Mm-hmm. At age four, five, six, seven, kids don't care. Right. And, you know, your three children had French immersion. They're quite happy. Everything happens mm-hmm. in French. It mm-hmm. doesn't bother them. No. Uh, so I think if you can get them to do things early enough when, they're, when they don't really resist, then later on perhaps more of them might develop an interest. And as you say, once they have an interest, then it's very quick. Like mm-hmm. three months, six months, whatever, mm-hmm. go to Japan, go to Germany, whatever, France. Right. You know, and you learn it right away. Mm-hmm. It's not difficult. Mm-hmm. If a person is motivated, it's not difficult. Mm-hmm. So, But yeah, we were not very successful. Uh, we tried a number of different things. Uh, yeah, I don't know why particularly, but I guess fundamentally, fundamentally um, if, if there's something else you'd rather be doing, right. you're not going to... Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, I mean, you talk about my kids at school. Well, they have to go to school anyway, so the school takes place in French. And right. It's it just that's just how it is. And yeah. Well, I think that even your, your kids are in French immersion, but even kids that aren't in French immersion, I think they should start. I've said this on my blog. They should start languages in grade one, mm-hmm. and it would, should consist purely and simply of listening and reading and watching movies, with no requirement to speak right. the language whatsoever. And it'd be different if like. They're in school anyway. Right. So if they're not studying a language, then they're studying history or they're studying or they're doing some other yeah. whatever. So they're there anyway, and if it's something fun and you just listen and it's easy to do, it, that, that, that they could start to enjoy that. It's a little bit different if, you, if you're choosing between studying French or running around outside with your friends. Right. But no, my point is, though, that uh, they start them early and then they test them. Okay, you're, right. you know, your child got C in French or the, your child got A in French. Mm-hmm. And we know that all those children who in, in the Canadian system in grade mm-hmm. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 got A in French, mm-hmm. in grade 12, when they graduate, they can't speak French. Right. So does it really matter whether they got an A or a C in grade 2? <laughs> right. Anyway. <laughs> but... So that was one subject, one question we had. Another question we had was... Mm-hmm. Well, how about you when you were uh, a kid? Yeah, my parents, they tried to get us to speak French. Okay, kids, now we're going to speak French around the table. That, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we'd say three things about the pomme de terre, and that was it. We <laughs> switched back to English, because you couldn't do it. No. And it was only at the age of 16 when I got turned on mm-hmm. uh, that once motivated, then you can learn in a hurry. So your parents spoke French? They knew how to speak French. Right. But uh, th- th- they... You know, they. You know, parents have these moments. Okay, right. now we're going to do this. Yeah. So, okay, now we're going to speak French around the table. Well, right. Be about three or four words exchanged before a few, you know, uh, tears or whatever, depending on the age. Right. And pretty soon we're back to English. Yeah. It's done. Right. Although I know some parents who are not French speaking who speak right. French to their kids all the time, and the f- kids reply in English. Right. It's so unnatural. I, I don't know. know how they can do it. I mean, yeah, e- 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 that's your. Your kids only grow up the one time. You right. can't do it in English the second time. I know. It's just I mean, a bit strange. The big thing is a motivated child will learn so very quickly. Why go through the torture? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, as I say, if you can get them interested at an early age, that's why mm-hmm. stories, videos, fun. I mean, we got one day we'll have our link for juniors. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess, like, what if, I don't even know, if, 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 you know, when you talked about when we were in France and you had French tapes playing, mm-hmm. you know, what if we had, uh, what if you had a French audio book of something that we were interested in? Right. See, so you were already know. older then. Right. You were already no. 
That's true. So I think it's more like a, the grade one when mm-hmm. the kids are so happy to be in school, eager to learn. Right. It's it's the first two or three years yeah. that you can get them to listen to even more than one language. Mm-hmm. And learn about different words, and in different language, they have different sounds, and they say things this way, and they mm-hmm. use these different words. And kids think, you know, when they're that young, that's it's great, fun, that's yeah. fun. Yeah. Once they're ten, eleven, everything right. is they're just no. <laughs> so that's a problem. Yeah. Okay, let's just cover the other subject we were asked about, and that was nationalism, uh, because one of our members posted a video, uh, or at least a link to a video on our forum. And it was uh, a Japanese nationalist at the Yasukuni Shrine who was explaining how really Japan didn't start the Second World or the Pacific part of the Second World War, that they were really trying to liberate all the Asian peoples from, uh, you know, white racist imperialism. And that really all the countries of Asia uh, really thanked the Japanese for that, that they liked them and stuff. So, and uh, and then there was a, a foreigner there who said, no, you can't say that because in Germany that's against the Constitution. That's what he said. Right. So everybody just uh, shouted, uh, we weren't even listening to him, and we're no. very, I mean, there was a tremendously sort of nationalistic reaction. And the person who posted this on our forum is Japanese, and he mm-hmm. said he was very embarrassed by the behavior mm-hmm. of these Japanese people, and nationalism is a bad thing. And what do we think of nationalism? And... Uh, so I responded that in that particular case, like I know a lot is made of this business of Japanese people going to the Yasukuni Shrine, but the vast majority of people who are buried there are ordinary Japanese soldiers. Mm-hmm. So as far as I know, and right. so that for the Japanese to go and pay their respects to people who gave their lives to their country, mm-hmm. I really don't have a big problem mm-hmm. with that. I mean, that's normal. It happens everywhere. Right. Uh, when this fellow says that uh, you know the Japanese were just trying to liberate their Asian brothers from uh, European imperialism, that's really not quite true. There's a mm-hmm. very small element of truth in there, but mostly it's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he believes it to be true. Right. But would he go to China and make that speech? Right. He wouldn't get out of China. He wouldn't get out of China. Or Korea, or the Philippines, <laughs> and yet. You know, as I now learn different languages, as I listen to Russian, uh, I am on a Chinese uh, uh, forum where people talk and so forth. There's a lot of nationalism around. Or even when we watch, you know, the American politicians during the Democratic Convention or the Republican Convention, God bless America. America is the greatest force for good in the Mm -hmm. world. Uh, And even here in Canada, you have people who, you know, believe we're just so much nicer than the Americans because we're Canadian. Yeah. Well, no, we're, we got just as many nasty people as any other place, you know. Yeah. So uh, I think, uh, by and large, I, I think it's nice to feel you, that you belong somewhere and that you feel a sense of closeness to your own until you discover that you don't like them mm-hmm. as individuals. Right. And you can find people of a totally different nationality whom you like, mm-hmm. but in a very general sense. To feel you like this place, you like being identified with this place, you feel good about the countryside, the people, whatever, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But some people do take it you know, well beyond that. And so mm-hmm. they're, in Japan, they're rewriting history. In Russia, they're rewriting history. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, it well, is. Well, I yeah. mean, in, uh, in Canada, they're rewriting history, you know, uh, all the time with... Uh more the politically correct bent. I mean, depending on the prevailing uh, sentiment, uh, people are always rewriting history, which is kind of unfortunate. But I guess there's probably a prevailing sentiment at the time those history books were written in the first place. Well, exactly. I mean, you can't avoid it. History is is a description of of what what happened. Mm -hmm. So that 
in terms of what they choose to identify as important, right. there's already a bias. Seen and then their interpretation the first, yeah. of that, there's a bias. So you can get the sort of uh, more politically correct uh, sort of European colonialists were all bad uh, stuff. Right. Or you can get the other side, which is we're, we're the greatest. Uh, right. I don't know how you strike a... Ha- there should almost be some kind of a... You know, particularly like in, in the Far East, there should be almost like a Korean, Chinese, Japanese joint history committee mm-hmm. to write the textbooks right. to be used in all three countries. Well, you know, I th- it, was, it was interesting, actually. I was listening to... Uh, Serge has a collection on French history. Right. So I was listening to uh, his uh, he, the, the um, chapter about the Second World War, right? And uh, you know, it was just interesting to hear it from a French perspective. It was just different than than what we normally hear, right. and and uh, and you know, obviously here in Canada we always hear about the contribution of the Canadian troops, <laughs> right. but when the rest of the world talks about the Second World War, the Canadian troops don't get much of a mention. <laughs> Right. Mostly they're grouped in with the British troops. Right. Um, and uh, so there was that A and B that the... the uh, And I don't know how how big a role the French army, the free French army had in right. the, uh, in the uh, invasion of, of uh, in Normandy. Mm-hmm. But uh, certainly I, I heard more about it there <laughs> than I would have if I was reading about it here. And, and that's just right. natural. Through the, You see, you read history through the... Uh, or you right. see it through the lens of the uh, person uh, telling the story. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, and, and it's interesting in Russia. The, first of all, when we, uh, because we see so many movies, uh, most of our information about the Second World War seems to come from movies. Mm-hmm. Most of our movies are not about the Russian front. Right. They're about the Western front. So right. we would assume that the bulk, just somehow that the, the Second World War was fought in Western Europe. Right. In fact, it was overwhelmingly fought in Russia. Yeah. Uh, and so, on the other hand, the Russians are persuaded that that people in the West don't even know that the Russians were in the war, kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, and the other thing is that's interesting now is that in Russia, people, at least the government and many people in the government, feel that that the Soviet Union, as such, Stalin's Soviet Union, is them, is their country, mm-hmm. and therefore, you cannot say anything negative about what the Soviet Union did in the Second World War. Right. And therefore, something like the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact is now being justified as as a very clever move by Stalin mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, stall the Germans for two years so he could build up his defenses and move the border a little further, uh, you know, to the west so mm-hmm. that he would have, be better able to deal with Hitler, which right. is, of course, complete and utter nonsense. Right. Because the Russian army of five million people was essentially wiped out mm-hmm. by the German advance, and the Germans were much weaker in 1939, uh, September 39, mm-hmm. uh, where then if the Russians had taken them on together with the British and the French, they would have stopped them. Mm-hmm. Whereas by 41, the, the Germans were much stronger; they had already dealt with their Western uh, enemies, mm-hmm. and they just came in and smeared the Russians. Mm-hmm. On top of which, Stalin had decimated all his senior officers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole story is just like, it was a completely stupid thing to do. Right. But, because it's identified with the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union is identified with when Russia was strong, uh, so now there's this whole attempt to uh, to kind of make that part of their 
this is us. You can't say nasty things about right. us. So nationalism does. I mean, it that. starts to get a bit scary uh, when mm-hmm. when uh, when countries are 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 start to get belligerent and and um, deny. Or, as you say, not not just sort of changing the tone of the history, but actually changing it completely around. Well, it is it is in the way of interpretation, right? But again, in Russia, I mean, they're they're they're, they're now they have a committee to deal with uh, falsification of history that is against the interest of of the. But that's only Russia. I happen to be into Russia because I'm right. reading Russian. But nationalism, I think, in, uh, my feeling on nationalism is in a modest way. Sense of belonging, sense of pride, sense of community, sense of solidarity is a good thing. Well, people Once like you to think belong, your group yeah. is better than some other group, we got problems. And that's not just nationalism. I mean, uh, that's uh, religion. religion. I mean, all these any ideology. Any ideology. Yeah. So, but that's uh, probably those are probably subjects to touch on in future and uh, touch on lightly. Touch on lightly <laughs> in all right. future episodes. Thank you okay. for listening. Bye okay. for now. Bye.